Hi friends, it's Diane here at the Sailing Legends podcast. And today's storyteller is somebody who's very close to my heart, somebody I've known for a lot of years. And we have so many stories, just the time we were together, much less his own sailing career beyond the time he's known me, that we might have to have several episodes. I don't know. But I have my very good friend with me, Colin Arnold, and he is from Tampa, Florida. And I met him at Davis Island Yacht Club, sailing boats, and we sailed a J35 together and had a blast. Every time I'm around Colin, I laugh and I have such a good time. He's a genius, intelligent, great sailor and really, really awesome friend. So I'd like you to welcome to the show with me, my very good friend, Colin. <laughs> You're setting the bar too high there. I mean, can we lower the bar a little bit? It'd be much easier for me then. <laughs> okay. Well, this guy that I kind of know every once in a while, but the, <laughs> the truth is we met sailing on George Haney's boat time band and on J35 and we became fast friends and pretty much ran the crew for a long time. And I really grew to respect your sailing skill and your knowledge, along with your amazing sense of humor and your intelligence. It just was really nice to know you, and it still is nice to know you. Well, that's, that's kind of the joy of sailing is the culture. Well, that is the joy of sailing. Yes, absolutely. So I'd like to start off a little bit with you sharing with us some of your early memories of sailing. Like if you remember learning how to sail or how did all of the beginnings happen for you? Oh, that's... Um... My parents, when I was being formed, when I was still in the womb, they both worked for CSY. And so that was a sailboat company here in Tampa. And they actually, so my parents were there. I think my mom was going to school. My dad was there as a builder, but she worked part-time at the CSY boatyard building sailboats. So I think that was part of what started breeding the addiction. While in the womb, I was there and entrenched in sailboats and building sailboats, designing, repairing, figuring out how can we make the sucker go a little bit faster? How can we make this go better? Um, and the person more in fault for all of that was my grandfather, my dad's dad. He was the one that at some point along the way, one day got this wild idea of, you know, it'd be fun. It'd be to have a sailboat. And so he being slightly off, like all of us, he, he couldn't just have a sailboat. It was like, I want my first boat. What's the fastest boat in the bay right now? Who's got it and can I go buy it? And so that was a disastrous thing because I have heard horror stories in the family of there he was. He had no idea how to sail a boat and he bought a race boat in the bay. He said, what's a fast boat here? Someone said, oh, that's really fast over there. He said, I'll buy that. And lots of stories of it wiping out constantly and everyone going for a swim. Uh, so that then got my dad into it. And then the CSY, uh, the funny thing about CSY, CSY was an incredible boat company. Unfortunately, they went under because they were too good of a company. Uh, when I was born, they actually gave my dad maternity leave uh, so he could be at home with my mom. Um, but wonderful stories there. Um, but the parents continued building. Uh, my dad actually and my mom, they would like to build boats um, of all different ilks. And I think I cannot recall my first memory of being on the water, but I know there's photos like uh, I was telling you a little while ago, but there's a photo of me and I'm less than one year old easily. And I've got the orange life jacket that my grandfather thought would be hilarious to strap me to and wrap ropes around. I'm like, okay, he's secured. And they just dropped me in the water. 
I'm like, there you go. Welcome to the water. Uh, so yeah, that was the lunacy of that. Uh, learning to sail though was though at that time when I the, the first sailboat I can properly remember is my grandfather. He ended up ultimately getting this really radical 40 foot ocean racer and it had absolutely no business being in Tampa Bay. Um, I, it was a, it was a weird swing keel and I think with keel up, it drew like eight feet of water. So all it ever did was run aground in Tampa Bay. That's all I remember about it. We, we hit every, we knew every shoal in Tampa Bay and when you get out of the bay though, out into the Gulf, you could then drop the keel down and that's when the real fun started happening. Um, but it had, but that weird keel, it had way too much horsepower and his favorite thing to do to me was to put full canvas up, sheet it in hard, throw it into the wind and bury the lured winches. I go, this is fun. And then it was old man in the sea. So the grandfather picture with the pipe smoking and burying the lured winches with a big grin on his face going, isn't this awesome? And I'm sitting there going, Oh God, Oh God, what are we doing? What are we doing? So that was my, that was my early years of sailing was dealing with my grandfather. Uh, my dad got really into catamarans. And so my first personal boat was a Prindle 16 and sailed the crap out of that until it, ultimately fell apart, uh, raced with dad on his Prindle 19. And there were a lot of fond memories there of ripping around on that thing. Uh, the, just the joy of, you know, there with the family there on, and just the, the, the joy of the adrenaline of you would just, you know, fall off the wind dump the sail and just let it sit there waiting for the start. You know, you find your spot, just wait there, sheet it in, hike heart, and just let that thing accelerate and rip. Um, that was a riot, absolute riot. And from there, I think I got another Prindle 16 and like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting into the Zen moment and got rid of that. And I think I ended up with, I think after that I got a Catalina 22. And that was about when I was an undergraduate in college. And that set me in this whole Zen movement of sailing for me was more about being out there on the water. And I would, you know, I had the party phrase of college and now I was in the Zen phase and friends would be like, Oh, we're gonna go out to the bar tonight. And I said, no, I'm gonna take my sailboat out. And I had it at Apollo beach. I'd go down to Apollo beach, hop on it, just sail out with my homework. Uh, drop anchor somewhere, do my homework, sun goes down and I just go to sleep. And it was just the coolest thing. I absolutely loved that boat because I could lock the tiller down and I could sail it all around Tampa Bay just by standing at the shrouds and lean the boat backwards or side to side and just have it fall off, go into the wind, just sailing around the bay just by healing the boat. Um, so you were sailing that boat kind of like people do windsurfers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So it was the way I'm sure for people that would see me go by, there's this kid going by on a little Cali 22 and no one's at the helm. The helm was lashed down and I'm hanging on the shroud, just leaning off the side of the boat. You know, let's, let's heal her flat and oh, here we go. Making her turn. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. I can so see you doing that. So what is, what for you, like when you went from the catamarans to monohulls and what's a big difference for you between catamarans and monohulls so far you know a lot of people talk about you know they're either catamaran sailors or mostly monohull sailors and so you you've lived the both 
And so what are some differences? What are some things that you appreciate about each one of those kinds of boats? Catamarans really appeal to my analytical mind. You really had to be inch perfect. And it's a weird thing when you jump on a monohull, you ask like things like the outhaul, like, well, where's your max draft and your outhaul tension? And my monohull sailor will typically look at you really confused, like, what are you talking about? You ask any catamaran sailor, and they'll instantly show you the mark on the mass of that's where they, you set it. That's where I'm going to get my best draft. Um, it's everything on the cat was, if you had it a little off, it cost you something. Monohull is truly artistic sailing. Where in catamaran, I was a, I was a real engineer. You had to be really precise. On the monohull, is more about the art of sailing. You know, especially if you had something like the J35, epic machine, but a lot of weight to the girl, and you really needed to play her weight well. I mean, you couldn't just like the cats. If I was off a little bit, a quick trim, and I was okay. The J35, if you did that, you typically would actually slow yourself down. And it was really, it's cool that you were more interested in, okay, the long game sailing the monohull. Whereas the cats was just really intense, really intense sailing. Um, obviously, the next one is the crew, where on a cat boat, you're just two of people. I mean, hike, 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 hike. I mean, how fast can you get to trapeze, trapeze, and hike for all you got and pray you don't dig in a bow. And the monohull, it was that was the cool thing being on that J thirty five program where we needed with our deck layout, we needed solid nine people, and every all nine people were working. That was the uh, time ban. Uh, per George Haney's rule, everyone on that boat needed to have a job, and we actually redid the deck layout to make sure that everyone on that boat had a job. There were some J thirty fives where they actually re rigged them so all all the controls were done in the cockpit. Not on Haney's boat. You ha everyone needed a job because we're all volunteers. We all needed to do something. So you have this sort of art side where as a crew boss, you're trying to make it all work and play. And, you know, your yeah, trim absolutely matters. But what mattered most were the humans on that boat. You know, they, how we played the crew, how they moved, how they did what and when. That was more significant. And we spent a lot of time working on that program just on gear changing. You know, how are we going to come around this mark? How are we going to do the sail change? How are we going to change from this point to a reach? That was where we had massive gains in that program was just focusing on things like that. And that was cool because you could, you know, if, on a cat, you did something great. Internally, you're like, hey, I did something great. On a big monohull, when you did something great, the whole crew, you all sort of looked at each other and smiled and went, oh, yeah, we did that. Yeah, that rocks. That mark rounding was flawless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, then there's always you come around the mark and you're like, oh, guys, that's awesome. And likewise, you came around and, you know, someone blew something. No one said a word. And it was you didn't need to. You actually had to console each other because the one person who screwed up knew. And it was just all in like, man, I, I ruined that for us. Everyone else did it but me and the whole crew. Then that's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We're going to get it next time. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And it's cool to have that where, you know, in the monohull, I wipe out and suddenly I'm like, all right, I just pitch pulled this thing. <gasps> Crap. Well, the penalties, I got to get it back up right. In the monohull, you don't have that. But you had to help the crew member because the crew members would sometimes beat themselves up and you're like, no, 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 no. Get back into the positive place. Keep racing the boat. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, what's one of your favorite memories from the Time Bandit days? <laughs> and that's uh, we'll kind of, I, I know that's a trick question because there's thousands of them but just and we got to keep it pg um right. and so so 
you know, I, I mean, I think about a whole bunch of different mark roundings and some, I remember when you and I were delivering the boat one time and uh, we helped out another boat. So what, what's something that, that you would think when you think back, you go, huh, that, that really brings a neat memory to mind. Um, I think there's two stories that really stand out to my mind. One was the first time I was ever on that boat. And so George brought it down and he was really struggling here in Tampa and he was struggling to get a crew and he was struggling to get a crew that could get put together to get the boat going. And there had just been like the day before, and it may have been two days or day before, but it was like the tropical storm had just gone across Florida and the bay was angry. The winds were angry. It was unbelievable sailing. And I, sh I showed up for the team I was supposed to be on and they were like, there's no way we're going out on this. Just no chance. Not, uh -uh, not going to do it. And I'm like, no, these are good conditions. This is going to be awesome sailing because it wasn't like it's going to get worse. This is what we have. It's solid. We know what we got. It was a day of windward lures. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to get on someone. And I saw someone from North Sales, and they were like, hey, Colin, you want to go out on – there's a J35 here. The guy needs crew. He needs a, and it was actually – they said, the guy needs a headsail trimmer. Why don't you go tr tell him? That's what I went over and said, hey, you need – and it was just my first introduction to George Haney. I said, hey, I heard you need a headsail trimmer. And, he, and he's walking down the dock, cigarette in mouth. He goes, sure, come on. Doesn't, I don't, he didn't know my name, didn't care, didn't even look at my direction. He was, just, he was heading to his boat, and I said, hey, you need a headsail trimmer? Said, yep, come on. And that was it. And I remember it was so nasty, we were running the blade, and we're going up wind, and I'm looking at it, and it's not looking good. And I'm trying to figure out what the heck's wrong with this thing. And I realized those cars were a little screwed up, so I'm sitting there redoing it. And there's one time I had to run up and adjust the leech line. I turned and walked back right as it digs her bow and hard. And the water crested at my chest when I was on the leeward rail. Oh and I look back and I see George there with his legs crossed, holding the tiller, big grin on his face and cigarette head bobbing on his lip with a big smile. And he's as happy as could be. And I went, you know what? When I was just talking about a program where they were like, there's no way you can go in this out in these conditions. And here's this guy, massive grin, legs crossed. Like, this is no big deal. And he's having the time of his life. And I went, this is pretty cool. Um, I was committed to the other program. And at the end of the season, I went, you know what? I'm not so sure about that. I think I'm going to get to a better program, something more, a little more exciting. Uh, and I saw George and I said, hey, George, are you, do you need crew for the next season? And he says, yeah, sure. And he stops, turns around and goes, hang on. I did well with you on the head soul. I said, yeah, we, I think we came in second. And he goes, yeah, you're on my program. You're, you're doing my head soul now. I'm like, cool. And that was the beginning of that relationship with George. Um, and I think sort of a, the second story is, we had to deliver the boat and it was up the Gulf and it was nasty conditions. And we had some crew on board and it turned nasty and we had canvas that we were, we were sailing instead of motoring because the waves were nasty out in the Gulf and George, some of the crew decided, you know, we're going to go downstairs because the deck is just getting washed. It's terrible. And George decides, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs too. And he goes downstairs. So I'm the only person on deck. And I think I actually was, I don't recall whether I was harnessed in or not. But remember, I was the only person on deck on a J35 with the main and jib up, driving it. And George is down in the companion with his head sticking out the hatch, cigarette, of course, in his mouth, big smile on his face as the waves are rolling across the deck and hitting the cockpit. And I'm just having the time of my life. I'm like, here I am, basically single-handing a J35 offshore. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> and him just as happy as could be, like, he's in his happy place. 
Oh, that's amazing. And so for those of you who are listening, if you're not familiar with a J35, uh, give them a little bit about, you said it was heavy. So about how much do those things weigh? They're 35 feet long. Uh, They're racing boats. Yeah, they were made by the J-Boat Company. They were supposed to be a one-design offshore race boat or a coastal race boat. I think it was more precise. Um, they weren't thinking about her being ocean racing, but they were more so thinking of racing off the coast, uh, doing distance races. Uh, 35 feet long, real sparse interiors. They actually did have some of an interior. Like, interior, like they actually had a galley, so they had a stove and oven. Uh, actual proper toilet. Uh, I think she was about 10,500 pounds. I think that's what they tipped this guy. They may, I might be a little light on that figure. Um, they had five halyards and all kinds of crazy rigging all over it. It's one of those things of I would tell whenever we get new four decks, I said, if you can learn to run this four deck, you can run any boat's four deck because they all get easier after J35. Um, yes, they do. There were so many lines on that boat that a lot of times when we had new people on it, it was like they would just look at us with that look on their face. And I'm like, I know you'll get used to it. Well, you remember the time when I almost got frocked? Yes. <laughs> Do we tell that story? Yeah, we can tell that story. All right. So I spent most of my life obligated to be in the cockpit of that boat and loved it. I absolutely adored that time. Then one, it was a Sunday race. So it was a, a laid back, no intensity race. We're just going to have fun. It's the race. These are the races where invite anyone you want on board. Everyone do something different because this isn't, this, this series doesn't matter at all for us. This is our time to go out and race the boat just in a purely fun way. And I decided on this race, I'm going to sit on the rail and do nothing because there was a girl on board. I invited a girl out who I was dating at the time. And so I'm just going to sit there, and I think that's what, why I was on the rail. I think – I can't recall why. It is why you were on the rail, and okay. Brian Malone was steering. Yes, exactly right. And so we do attack, and I decided you know, the people were moving slow off the rail, and I said, you know what, forget it. I dive through the triangle between the vang, the boom, and the mast. Right as I come through, and it was breeze was on. Yep. And right as I go through, a loop comes by and, of the jib sheet, the lazy jib sheet now, and it catches my neck and yanks me to the strouds. So I, I fortunately was able to get a finger shoved between my neck and the line and I get, and I hit the shroud. I was unable. So if you ever had that happen, you can just flip out of it. Well, I got pinned to the shroud. So I knew there's no way I'm flipping out of it. I am, I'm pinned against the shroud and I'm like, well, this is how I die. The next thing I know is I'm regaining consciousness laying on the deck. Mm-hmm. And I remember Brian's wife was a couple people back behind me and she's freaking out saying, go see Brian, go see Brian. Brian was a paramedic previously. And he's, she's like, go see Brian, go see Brian, go see Brian. And I'm, and I think my first thing I yelled was hike, hike, hike. Cause the diehard racer immediately triggered. And I said, hike, 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 get on the rail, get on the rail, get on the rail. And she's just screaming, like, no, 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 go see Brian, go see Brian. And I'm like, oh. stand up. And I walk back and I'm just cursing and swearing and saying, Brian, blah, 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 lots of profanity your wife wants me to come see you. And he says, you're good. Continue hiking. And she's like, what, what? No, he's hurt. And he goes, the guy just walked back to me cursing about you making me look at him. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Cause I was trimming on that race and the person who let go of the sheet on the tack, which is how that lazy sheet wrapped around your neck, didn't really realize what was happening. And then and Brian's wife, Kat, and myself were the ones screaming at Brian. And thankfully, Brian took the boat and went the other direction, and it loosened it, and we could get you out. And so that's an example of where a skilled sailor like you are, right, gets in trouble. 
and you could it could have been the end of you it could have decapitated you with no difficulty it was blowing really hard and that boat is really strong there's a lot of pressure and, and weight on those lines there was there was nothing easy about it however the fast thinking of all the crew and everybody and you getting your finger in there saved your life that day because yeah. you had rope marks on your neck Oh, I lost all the flesh from the right side of my throat all the way around going to the left, all the way around to the back. And I tore off most of the skin on that finger that was there. Um, I actually, this was, I was still an undergraduate at college at the time. And I actually walked in my graduation walk many months later, actually with still the bandages wrapped around my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd continue that sailing season every race. I'd have to show up there with the bandages on. And I joked with the doctors afterwards, the, the scar, there's almost no scar there now. And they were shocked. They, they swore there would be scarring, uh, just about how much skin damage was done. And I said, well, it's just, I went back out in the salt air and I made the joke. And they said, that's actually probably true. Being out there back on the salt water probably helped the wound heal like it did. Right. Yeah, probably did. And I remember how many races, you know, you were there with the bandage yeah. on your neck. And I remember the terror and the fear because it was not, you know, it was scary. And there were some people on the boat because like you said, it was a Sunday play race. And there were a lot of people who really didn't have a concept of the danger and of what had happened. Like only a few of us really understood the seriousness of what happened. Just about everybody else was just la, 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 la. This is really fun. Yeah, no, it's the amazing thing of sailboats is people are like, oh, man, those are slow. Like, especially people who have never been on one. Like, oh, man, those are slow and boring. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to come out on a race boat. Uh, I remember going down to Key West once on the 35, and I had a night shift of driving. And it was just crazy because we were hitting, I think, I think I was holding about 11 knots while going down the waves, and I think I would occasionally pop up to 13. And it was the boat was just screaming and everyone on board was quiet just because you could sense the power in the rigging of how much pull that boat had. And it's just amazing to feel the horsepower this thing has right now. And you're only doing 13 knots. (laughs) Right. 13 knots on land if you were in a car or something is not very fast. Yeah, 15 miles an hour. I mean, it's right. like a snail's pace. It's a school zone. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, offshore, when you're coming down a wave, it's just incredible. You feel right. like you're just freight training along. Right. And when you have a, what, a 10, 11,000 pound boat completely loaded up with its sails and the pressure on it, that 13 knots or 15 miles an hour could equal to, what, 80, 100 or something on land. Yeah. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's exhilarating. It's, there's nothing like it in the world. No, there, there really isn't. And it's, and I don't care what kind of sailboat you're on. Uh, Cause I've been on some really fast boats, the planing hulls and it doesn't matter what you're on. When they get up doing what they do, it's always exhilarating. People are like, man, they're so slow and it's so much work. And yeah, it's a lot of work, but man, when you have those moments, um, there was a, did that wing boat for a while, which was a, 32 foot light air weapon uh it was 32 feet and i think it weighed like 2,000 pounds or something weight was all carbon fiber and weighed nothing and the first time we raced it when we hit the weather mark we popped the smallest spinnaker it had and it jumped out of the water and we had on board just absolute giants of racing unbelievable guys and the boat went quiet because the boat jumped out of the water and just started screaming and we're just sitting there stunned until someone goes, turn the boat, turn the boat, because we're about to run into the boat that's ahead of us. Because we're just like, 
oh my God, this thing's unbelievable. And no one's thinking to drive them, but we're all just sitting there just wide-eyed going, oh, well, this is incredible. Um, and literally, I, I forgot who it was, but he yelled, turn, turn, turn. We're like, oh crap, we're about to run into another boat. From behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we couldn't figure out how to make the boat go up when it was too light and we couldn't figure out how to make that magic work. So the whole fleet left us and we turned the weather mark. The fleet was already downwind and we hit the downwind mark as the first boat. And then everyone passes it going upwind because we couldn't figure out how to sail it upwind at that time. That was the first race. Mm, that's amazing. That, that, that's just so exciting. So are there, is there another sailing story that you can think of that really stands out to you where maybe um, you learned something about yourself or another person that helped you like grow as a person? There's so my sailing went from you know the crazy grandfather, crazy dad, Zen, and then one day I ran into my mom was a diehard sailboat racer really, um, but one day I ran into a guy after my mom had passed uh, a, a mutual friend and said how about you get into sailing and I got into sailing and it was fun and then it became more and more intense and then it became winter sinking and. There was a race I did where I had to realize this has gone wrong. This has gone really wrong for me where literally the, I heard one crew member's response and actually with my girlfriend at the time, her response was you literally were frothing at the mouth yelling. Wow. And I just, I just was angry because it was like, I had the win in hand and the crew screwing up. And it was just, to me, it was, if I'm not winning it, why am I doing this? And I had to take it. I think it's over a year. I had to walk away from sailing. Um, I realized that I stopped really enjoying what I, f I forgot what the point of sailing was. It was to me, it was just, we'd worked so hard to get competitive and there were signs in advance of that. Like for the 35 program, uh, there was a year where we were always, as a boat, we were always second and third place overall. And we decided one year, let's go for it. Let's really stop being the merry band of idiots and be the merry band of diehard pushers where we're going to get, we're going to see what we can actually do with this boat. And let's put money into the program. Let's go for it. And we did everything we could for the boat, all new sales. And at the end of the year, we lost half the crew. And sure, we had won basically everything, but we lost half the crew as an expense. And that was kind of a moment for me and then got into more hardcore one design racing and it was no longer acceptable for me just to enjoy being out there on the water and realize that's a mistake. Um, and I had to take a big step back. And when I got back on the boat, it was weird for people because they're all looking at me going, okay, what are you going to do? Is he going to be this intense guy? And I had to just dial it back and say, you know what? I'm going to let other people be intense. I want to be here smiling with a rum and Coke and just enjoy the life. Uh, and that's, it's a weird balance today that I still have to work on where there's the diehard racer in me that really wants to push. I want, I, there's that inch perfect, pleasure you get where you just nail it you are you just absolutely are able to flog the fleet and then some days you got to realize now that's there's there's too much cost for that at this level you know we're here as all volunteers we should be enjoying it 
Yes, I think that is a really big balance a lot of people have to achieve because our, I've been on boats where people were frothing at the mouth and screaming and yelling, and I've been on boats where people were almost too laid back, where it was borderline almost a little bit dangerous because nobody was really paying a whole lot of attention or maybe yeah. they were drinking too much or something, and, and there's there's that, that artful balance of if you're going to race a boat and who the crew is, what's going on, what, what the parameters are. And what our own personal mission is like there was one one boat one time that that asked me to race their season with them to bring on that expert competitor person mm. like to help motivate the crew and and I'd been doing the crew stuff with you with George for a while and some my own boat and stuff and so we were um I was on this boat and and I was showing them how to do things and took them at their word that they really wanted to learn how to win but really they didn't really want to learn how to win. So there were some really big discussions after some races. I said, if you want to learn this, it's a different way of approaching the race. It's not good or bad. It's just, what is your system? What did, what do you want to get out of it? I was, that reminds me, I was hired to do a race in Key West for Key West race week. And I didn't know anyone in the program. I knew the sale maker and that's how I got contacted saying, Hey, there's this team. They need someone. Um, are you willing to go on and be that person? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, the money's right. Let's do this. And I showed up uh, on the practice day at Key West. And they said, come on, come have a look at the boat. And I said, great. Came down and hopped on the boat. And I slid across the deck. Oh, no. And I went, I looked at them and said, what the? And they said, oh, yeah, we thought we should polish the deck. And I went, you did what? And they said, yeah, yeah, we put this wax on there. makes it really slippery. And I said, how are we supposed to get across the boat? And they went, oh, what? What do you mean? I'm like, oh, no. And so that's why I had to grab the crew. And I said, you know what? You got to send some of your – they actually had some guys that are dedicated shore crew. I said, you got to send them to the store get Ajax. You got to scour this deck. We got to get traction. And then we took the boat out. And it was sort of a rude awakening because they were like, well, we've seen the boat. We're ready to go racing. I said, no, 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 no. We're going to go out and actually do the practice races. Let's go. And I think like the second or third jive, I watched the uh, spin pole just disintegrate where the rigging just came apart. And they're looking, and I'm looking at it and the guy looks at me and the owner looks at me and goes, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, you can either drive it or douse it, douse it, but you can't do both now. That thing's gone. And so we doused it, got on the boat back in. I was like, all right, let's get, let's head back in. And we got to do a really serious rig inspection on this boat. And we sent, we sent the pole out to be re-rigged, but it was unbelievable. The fun part about that was kicking and screaming was able to get, uh, get that program of the longest time. You can go to Key West website, web, Key West race week's website. There's always this, um, this guy standing on the, the cover page photo, holding two bottles of rum. And that was me because all the guys had met in Alcoholics Anonymous and they decided as their program, they would start racing sailboats. And that's how they would help each other get over their addiction. And so Key West Race Week being sponsored by Mount Gay Rum, man, they didn't go to the parties. So there I was, I'd go, we won a couple day, won, won a couple of the day awards and I'd go up there and get the bottles of rum with big grins on my face. And there's a photo of me with a big grin going, because <laughs> you know, it, was, it was a great time, but it was shocking to show up and like, realize, hang on, you guys dump the money into the boat, dump the money in the sails, but you haven't actually thought about the safety of this. How are we going to make this work? And, you know, think about, well, that rigging, does that rigging good? I mean, you put the money into the hole, but where would you spend that money? Was that a right, right place? So it was, it was, it was eye opening. 
Right. You draw, you, you make a really good point, Colin, because a lot of people, like I've, I've gone around people. In fact, I dated a guy one time and he's like, Oh, sailing. That's like a really calm, easy kind of thing. You know, I see the boats on the lake hardly moving. I said, that's not racing. And there's so much more to the boat. There's like you said, all the rigging, how there's the running rigging, there's the hull. There are so many different factors in it all. And a lot of new people, who don't, who weren't raised in the sport like we were, or just knew in the beginning, don't necessarily know the critical thinking questions necessary to make sure that everybody's safe and that the boat's actually going to work. Yeah, no, it's the the off the water part of sailing is so much of the culture that I mean, people don't realize when like, oh, you got to pull it out to have the bottom job or whatever. And a lot of people they pay, they hire that out whatever. And most don't understand the joy because it is it is dirty work, but there's a joy of seeing your boat there on the hard as you're looking at it. And you're, like you're saying, you look through every inch of that boat, like what's wrong? What could be better? How could we redo this? Like this teak grab rail. Oh man, is, is that actually a safe grab rail? Should we replace that with a stainless grab rail or something else? Um, and then you start looking at the bottom and thinking, you know, how can I make this bottom faster? What are the choices I'm going to make in that? And it's, a, it's one of my favorite things to do is to be there at the boatyard the first thing in the morning or at sunset and just be there and look at your girl sitting there, just glistening in the sun. And you're like, okay, this is awesome. And you have that investment in her. Like, you know, she's as good as we can make her right now. She's awesome. This is going to be, you know, you, you develop this relationship with the boat and you have a lot of people who they don't do that. They just throw the money at it, let people work on it. And they never have that emotional involvement with her even the one design boats that we trailer, man, I've had so many fond memories of being there with the, the keel out of the boat, sitting there mounted up and just go through it and, you know, blueprint the thing, make it absolutely perfect to what the designer said. I mean, that is just the Zen of being there with, you know, 2000 grit sandpaper going, she's going to be perfect of putting that time in her to make her as good as she can be. And then you hit something with it in, in the first race and you, curse but <laughs> right still, exactly it's part of the it's still the part of the joy the agony and the joy of it of just sit there to love on her and make her absolutely perfect i'm so glad you brought that up about the off the water glory of it all and and what it you know like rub there's nothing like wet sanding a hull and then rubbing your hand over it when it's completely smooth there's nothing like that i had a, a girlfriend who at the time did a bottom job on a boat and she could not understand. That may have been a bad sign where I told her, stand right here. She's like, why? I said, I got to take a picture because I can see your reflection in the hole. Yes. And she's like, why? And I said, you don't understand. That's amazing. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the weird uh, sailboat race. We're all like, ooh, that's a good bottom job. I'm like, yeah, that she, this is going to be fast. Right. And, and that's how it is, though. There's that culture and there's that appreciation for for the feel of it and how it all plays and comes together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I need a scotch now. Because <laughs> it's, it's really fun to, to talk about and tell the stories about everything, you know, about how the sailing part is. So has there ever been a situation or whether it's cruising or delivering or racing, because you've done so many different things, but has there ever been a situation where, or a time frame when you're like, I'm kind of done. I don't want to sail anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, back to the safety thing. And that's kind of trying to figure out where I am at that time, trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I make this work? And I thought, you know, maybe if I get into the cruising fleet or maybe if I do something like that, like a sport cruiser, maybe that'd be cool. And it comes back to that safety thing of getting on the boat and people were like, well, you would throw off like, Hey, you can't do that. That's against the rules. And they would look at you and go, what? Well, why does it matter? And there was just this whole duality of like, no, no, no you don't understand. You, you got to do this safely. It doesn't matter how slow you are or whether you have your wine and cheese or not. You got to go for it. And then I get on the race boat and yeah, this is great. I'm pushing too hard. Um, I don't know. That's been the biggest problem I have had. It's, it's never been, I'm done with this. I got to walk away from it just because I'm done with it. The, the addiction's too strong. I recall the worst delivery I've ever done was delivering a boat and it was a group of boats all going kind of unbeknownst to us. The weather was miserable. The forecast was supposed to be good. And it turned out day of no weather was terrible, freezing cold, uh, all new sails for the boat. They had bought all new sails for the race boat. And so without anyone trying to see if they fit, none of them did. The only oh sail I had that, so the mainsail, the bolt rope on the mainsail was too big. So I couldn't put a main up. Um, it was like, it was like, I think it was like a cold front or something came through sort of unexpectedly. Um, uh, so the seas were angry. It was cold. It was blowing. I had no main to stabilize the boat. There was a, like a tri-sail or something. So I put that up to try to stabilize the boat, but it was so gusty. I looked up at the rig at some point and realized the, the gusts are hitting it and just pumping the rig hard. I'm like, I can't believe this up. So I had to pull that down. So now the boat's just wallowing in the water. And there was a one point where I saw waves breaking simultaneously on the bow and transom. Oh and, my. Every, and it was just, just a couple people on board and we're all, and most of them were sort of novice sailors. I'm like, Hey, let's go deliver a boat. It'll be easy. And I'm looking at this, the other them and they're looking at me like, is this normal? I'm like, no, this just sucks. And as I come up ahead, I'm, I forgot what I think it was like going into St. Peter Clearwater. Uh, so where the really tricky channel coming in through the Gulf, and I see another boat up ahead not moving. I'm like, uh-oh. I think I know what's going on. And I sort of head their way, and I see the one. there's two people on board, and one is waving his arms. And I'm like, yep, they've run aground. So I sort of ease up to them. They throw a line to me. We get tied off the transom. I drag them off, and, I'm, and they're like, our motor has overheated trying to get off. We're stuck. So I'm like, okay, I'll just pull you all the way in. And right as I get the transom tied up, ready to go, I look up at the guy on the bow of the boat behind us, and he looks at me, and he goes, worst day ever meanwhile once we get the boats in we're all having drinks and laughing and you know like the next day or whatever the race was we're all on the boats having the time of our life um i've i've had a lot of bad deliveries i've been on a lot of bad boats but i've never had a boat where afterwards i went i'm done with this it's always been trying to get the happiness balance with the competitor and that's my biggest struggle mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and it's really neat that even in all those different struggles and all of the different things that there was never a part of your being that said, I'm done with this, this sport or this behavior, you know, this, this thing, this sailing thing, whatever we want to call it. It's a sport. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture. It's an addiction. It's everything. It's magic. There's something it's once magic. you get the salt in your blood you'll always look at it differently. You'll, oh, there'll always be those memories of no matter what you're in, if it's a clear night and you're watching the sun go down, I don't care how intense the race is, 
you're going to be looking out for the green flash. Mm-hmm. And there's moments of, yes, at four, 3 a.m., you're on shift on deck, weather's nasty, and all you're doing is praying to get the boat to the sunrise. Once the sun comes up, it's going to be okay. I don't care how nasty it is. Once the sun's up, it's going to be okay. And the sun comes up, and sure enough, it's always okay. I don't care how nasty it is. Um, I've been in issues where rigs come down uh, offshore, and there we got to you know, salvage the boat, get her ready before she sinks. I've been in multiple sinkings. You always are, it's okay. She's okay. So being that you've had all these really amazing experiences that go from pure adrenaline rush amazement to we're sinking. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, that's like, that's, a, there's a big range in that, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's a range. Yeah, there's a little range. Yeah. And you're reminding me of this one, one time when we were sailing on firewater with George Haney on the 24 on the mail, just mm-hmm. 24. And I forget what day it was. It was a Sunday afternoon and there was some little race and we were on the rail together hiking and you looked at me and you said, was this on the schedule? And we started realizing that George made up the race to get us there and sent us emails like it was on the schedule and we should have known. And then we realized he made it up. Remember that day? <laughs> no, I know George now. That's a, he does that to me way too often of, hey, Colin, remember? No, no, I don't remember that. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we were both laughing about it, but yet it was like, of course, it's George. And so, and we love sailing so much that it doesn't matter if you make it up or not. If, if we can be there, we're there. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was like so funny. Well, it's, it can get back to magic when uh, the, uh, the Time Bandits mast came down. So that was the end of the J35 program. We couldn't get another mast for it. And it was, we did a crew party to come down to pull all the stuff out of it. So she's gone. You know, we got to get rid of her, clean her out it's game over for the bandit and because the insurance company is going to total her out. It's over. And I'm standing there on the dock, standing next to George as the crew's on board, pulling up, you know, picking up all the rigging, all the trash, whatever. And I looked at him and I said, how about we take her out one last time? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, she's still got a motor. And you see a smile come on his faces. Yeah, let's do that. And we had an, epic party on board we all everyone jumped on board and we all said hey do you guys just want to take her out motor and everyone oh yeah uh, lines came off out of the slip we went and had just an amazing time there just reliving all those weird moments on time bandit where and it would just had just being there on her one last time was just the most epic event to have you know just saying goodbye to her yeah it's the magic of it all and the connection and all the memories and the energy of the whole crew the boat and the culture, the family part of it, and everything. Yeah, definitely need a scotch now. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? Okay, yeah. so a couple more questions, and then, and then I'll let you go have your scotch. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about how sailing and just all of the magic of it all and all of the different things we've talked about and more. We could go on for hours. Yes. How that has impacted your professional life and how your professional life has impacted your sailing, whether it's in the way you think or how you use it or how do those things go together? Um, that's a hard one. Uh, comically, uh, the sailing for my master's, so the engineering and master's degree, uh, my master's degree was actually partly uh, photogametry of how to use cameras to figure out optimal trim for sails. And so for a while, 
every boat I could get my hands on with pictures and cameras town trying to figure out how to capture the data before the America's Cup started doing it, uh, where they actually had their own sensors. That was, uh, there was from a master's doing that, of having a good old time. Um, the professional side kind of diverged a bit, and for me, that was uh, getting into cybersecurity and things like that, uh, getting to the darker world of that. Uh, sailing was my outlet. It was my happy place I could go to and just disconnect from that world of just get on a boat and be, you know, feeling where the wind's coming from. What's the boat doing? Is she in their groove or not? And it was just, that was my disconnect. It was sort of my sanity check for that. Um, and that kind of was a sign that I'm, you know, we have a love side, really good and really enjoying that. And part of sailing things I got to do with sailing was to sailing was to take new people out and introduce them to A to sailing. And B was to take crew who maybe you'd always been a four deck. All right, let's go out sailing and you're going to drive the boat. And we're going to show you the relationship of what you do, how that affects the bow. And so then that was just really cool. And my addiction, that, that teaching, loving the Zen has really pushed me a lot where whenever I would get too far away from teaching, I would notice that in sailing and go, I got to fix that. You know, that's where I'm happy. That's where I enjoy. I have, I enjoy making others dreams come true and helping others grow like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now professionally for me, it's sort of like, you know, I've done enough in cybersecurity. I'm happy with the accomplishments I've had in there. And so now I'm back into a teaching domain and comically it's kind of like sailing um, where I'm playing with airfoil playing with airplanes and uh, teaching people to fly and things like that. Oh, that's amazing. That's great because it is all airflow and, and you are a great teacher and I've seen you helping people and teaching people and being like a really high energy enthusiastic ambassador for our sport and our community and uh, the magic of it all. So I've seen that in you. So it's cool that you're, that you're keeping the teaching going. I know it's, there's nothing, nothing, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and I have some particular men who were crew who were ever safe. And then you would change their spot, or you would put them in some situation where, okay, we're going to help you learn this one particular thing, like this yet, or you're unaware of this one thing. And now we're going to use the boat to teach you this one particular thing. And I've had a couple memories of it where you watch the people go, oh, wow, that's incredible. And that's just an amazing thing to be, you know, out there on the water, ripping along on a boat, and then you're helping someone understand something about what makes that magic happen. There's, yeah. That's the best experience in the world. Oh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So as we're getting near to the end of the interview, and I'm just wanting to make sure that there's not something on your mind that you wanted to talk about and share about that maybe I didn't ask you about or something that's come to mind while we've been talking that you want to be sure to tell people maybe a message for somebody who's listening and wants to get into the sport or is new to it or whatever. Is there anything on your mind that you would like to share? The most amazing thing about sailing to me is the people. And that's where, you know, and there's all kinds of walks of life of people on and sailing. And that's kind of cool because you'll have, you know, the millionaires and you'll have the person who's barely able to pay his bills out there. And it's cool to have that cross section 
have the blue collar and the white collar guys side by side, you know, literally sometimes on the going to town working and we're all equal there. We're all together working on it. And like all things in life, you have the good people and you have the bad people. When you can get a program together with the good people. And if you ever find a program like that, and that's sort of what was the lore of time band. It was other teams were saying they may not win, but you knew they had the best time tonight racing. And you know, that's the thing to work for is the wins will come. If you as a team just focus on, are we enjoying this? Are we safe? Were we laughing? There's nothing like being out there on the water laughing. Um, I remember there's a couple memories I have where it's just, that's, that's it. We were dead last and we had the most fun because we were just dying laughing. And it was like, okay, we can't win this race from where we are now. Let's just smile and enjoy it. And that's my thing to people. When you're, if you're on a program where it's man, it's a grind, I'm just not getting it or they're not helping me. There's other boats out there and there's a boat out there that is absolutely dying laughing. And it's amazing if you get in that environment. If you're laughing, it's amazing how fast you can learn. Yes. When, when the energy is light like that, it makes learning and the excitement of it, no matter whether you're winning or losing, so much more powerful. Exactly. Yes. Well, everybody, you've been listening to my good friend and a great, amazing sailing storyteller. I told you you were in for a treat. Colin Arnold from, he's in Tampa, Florida, racing at Davis Island Yacht Club and all around. And Colin, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. So remember everybody, go out there, be safe and have fun on the water. And until the next episode of Sailing Legends, may you have fair winds and following seas. <laughs>